0: So, we're continuing our series on James. So, before I preach, I just want to give a caveat. I wasn't, I promise I wasn't thinking about anyone when I was writing the sermon. So, it's not, it is to you that I preach and to me, but not any specific person, right? So, no, don't text me saying, how dare you? No, right? So, let's just. Let's just have to be clear, okay, starting out. And the reason why I start the sermon with this caveat is James is incredibly relevant in the way we live our lives here. Even though this book, what this letter was written more than 2,000 years ago, I'm very surprised how relevant it is to, the, to, to our modern lives here. And especially relevant today because James talks about anger. Anger is perhaps one of the most destructive forces in humanity. Most of the or most or not all of, for example, marriage marital. What, what do you call it? Damage. What's the fancy word? Disintegration is. One of the source of divorce, major source of divorce, is anger. Anger. Anger, we, we, all of us have a power to destroy another human being through our anger. Right? I'm looking at you. And you guys go, well, okay, Pastor Jay can preach about anger. I don't know why he warned us, because I'm not an angry person. So you would think. In my life, right, I only knew maybe a handful of people with serious anger issues, right? Serious anger issues, like angry all the time. Most people that I know are pretty mild-mannered. All of you that are here, I'm looking at, and you're all pretty mild-mannered. I thought I was pretty mild-mannered. Until when? This isn't to dissuade you not to get married, but until marriage. There's something about being close living in close proximity to another human being that stirs anger in us. Even though you may not think that you have this, 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 this tool called anger to destroy another human being, all of us have it. All of us do. And the way you know these things come out, like I said, is if when you start living with someone in close proximity, anger comes out. Anger. Very, very, very dangerous. And perhaps anger is responsible for most of the misery in the human existence. Verse 19, Paul, James says, Anger does not produce the righteousness of God. He's saying anger gets in the way of of allowing us to live righteously. What is the definition of righteous here that James is talking about? The righteousness James talks about here, proper God-designed human conduct. When we think about righteousness of God, we think about like all these oppressive rules that God wrote in the Bible. We think, when we think of righteousness and holiness, we think of all these like, hard, difficult rules, that do this, don't do that, don't do that of the Bible. We just think about God's rule and how we don't want to obey these things. The righteousness of God is more than that. The righteousness of God, the righteousness in which God wants us to live, once again, I say this all the time, once again, it's quite frankly, to live as a sane human being. To live righteously means to live as a sane human being. To be clear thinking. To value another human being. To respect another human being. To not hurt another human being. To not use another human being. Right? Respecting and valuing another human being. That's what the righteousness of God is. ¿Ya comprende? Look, listen, look at the Ten Commandments. Right? Commandments 1 through 4 is about our, our love for God. Commandments 5 through 10 is about our love for each other. If you look at our God's command of how we love each other, it's a beautiful thing. Obey your parents. Don't kill people physically or spiritually. Don't lie to them. Don't lust after them, meaning don't try to use them for your, for your own pleasure. Respect their properties. Respect their boundaries. Right? It is that sane living right there, isn't it? Not harboring hate, not harboring lust, respecting each other's privacy, respecting each other's humanity. That's the righteousness that God desires. We can all get behind that, can't we? Right. It's nice, sane, living, clear thinking, nice, sane, living. James is saying anger gets in the way of that. When you're angry, maybe it's just me, maybe I have anger issues, but if you if you are angry. The thing that comes out of our mouths when we're angry. When you like sleep and get up next day and when you when you revisit what you said. Most of the time you think you are you realize you are out of your mind when you are saying these things in anger. Is it just me? Certainly some of y'all know what I'm talking about. When you're angry, when we're angry, it seems like we're out of our minds. We're temporarily insane when we're angry. Right? Our anger In our anger, we don't value someone's humanity. We take a sledgehammer and we destroy their humanity. This is what I learned from, like, you know, CrossFit, right? The sledgehammer exercise, that's what I do with sledgehammer. You take a sledgehammer, you beat a tire, right? And so you have to, like, beat the tire. We beat the humanity with our anger sledgehammers when we're angry, we're insane. We, we 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 abuse each other's humanity. We just we just blow up our families and our close relationships and our anger. Therefore, James warns against anger. How should we deal with anger? Verse in the first nineteen. Where is first nineteen? What are you doing? Oh, how do you deal with anger? Be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger. That's how you deal with anger. How do you deal with anger, James says? Number one, be quick to listen. It doesn't mean listen quickly. It means, okay, just listen and go, no, that's not what it means. It means, quick to listen means always willing to listen first. Listening first doesn't mean I listen to you and then I speak. No. Always strive to deeply, truly listen to another person. Try to figure out their perspective, their point of view, why they're feeling that way, why they're saying that way. You need to have a deep ability to deeply emphasize and deeply probe and be deeply patient with someone who's hurting you is the ability, is the call to go deep. When someone's making you mad, ask questions, take it, try to figure it out. That's the call. Listen. Look, one of the pastors that I admired the most, this guy named, it was this gentleman named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's perhaps one of the most famous preachers of the 20th century. Very prominent figure in the Church of England, very well respected. So, his he had a grandson, and one of his grandsons was into was trying was about to be persuaded to join a cult, right? So, this incredibly famous preacher, faithful man of God, word of, like preacher of the word of God, whose grandson wants to, like was trying to was about to be persuaded to join a cult. So what did Dr. Lloyd-Jones do? If he was a Korean Dr. Lloyd-Jones, he would, get a, he would just hit him, right? How dare you dishonor our family and just shame him? Because Koreans are big in shaming, right? But, but Dr. Lloyd-Jones did American style. You know what he did? Rather than, like, yelling at his grandson, he asked his son, grandson to bring him the copy of the book that he's reading, you know, the cult book that he's reading, But he can read. So Dr. Martin Doug Jones, as busy as he was, read that cult book, right? And then he called his grandson, and they discussed the book. He says, I think this part of the book, I can see why it's appealing. But this part of the book, I I think that's wrong. So they had a nice, humane interaction about a book that is influencing his grandson to go join a cult. That's him listening to his grandson. Taking the time to read a book that is influencing his grandson. It took him, I, I would imagine, days to do it. He wasn't reactive. He was listening. I know it's hard when our spouses, for example, cut us. They, 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 do the, they make the first cut. Ooh. And our natural reaction to cut back. The empire strikes back, John Stark. Right? But that's not the call. The call is quick to listen, deeply empathize, and try to understand. Try to understand. Quick, list, quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to speak means restrain from responding with shallow understanding. Someone hurt us. We want to respond. We want to respond. Not we want to respond either just immediately, or we want to respond based on the, our shallow understanding of what that person is going through. You know, you know what I mean? When we respond in anger, we respond because we, number one, we either don't know that other person's point of view, or number two, we have a very shallow understanding of that person's point of view. You know what I'm talking about? We're all prideful, and we we, we think we can diagnose the other person pretty quickly, in our opinion. That person is saying this because that person is this way. Therefore, you make a quick diagnosis, and after you make a quick diagnosis, you lash out. You either lash out immediately, or you make a quick, shallow diagnosis, and then you lash out. James says don't do that. Slow to speak means don't react harshly. Don't react fast and furious. Oh, that movie's coming out, right? Don't act. Don't be like Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel? Van Diesel? Vin Diesel? Don't be like Vin Diesel. Don't live a quarter mile at a time. You know what I mean? Don't do it. Don't just respond or just respond with a shallow understanding of things. When you respond, when you speak, Deeply consider things. The warning against resp- basing your opinions on shallow understanding of things. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking about, you know, I think one of the guys that I really like is Jordan Peterson. And I really like Jordan Peterson. Right? So I'm, I'm, I was talking to a guy. We were talking about Jordan Peterson. And that guy was like, oh, Jordan Peterson is a racist. He's a crazy man. And I go, Am I listening to a racist and a crazy man? I think he made that determination about Jordan Peterson, not because he actually read Jordan Peterson stuff, but he's basing it on other people's opinion of Jordan Peterson. Maybe it's true. Maybe Jordan Peterson is a racist. I don't know. I don't think he is. But that guy made a, made a very like quick judgment of who Jordan Peterson was based on things that he heard. Not really understanding what Peterson is writing. And that's what we do. We respond with shallow understanding. We trust in our shallow diagnosis of things and other people. That's why we that's why we speak so hastily. James saying, don't do that. And number three, what is it? Slow to anger. I think this he's Warning against the potential danger that anger will cause. He's saying be conscious of the danger that anger will, danger that anger, potential damage that anger will cause. For example, James James in verse 20 calls anger, what is it? He says anger, in verse 21 he says anger is filthiness and rampant wickedness. Anger is described as filthy. Filthy means toxic. He's saying anger is your toxic nuclear weapon. Your anger, my anger, is a toxic waste. If you unleash your toxic waste on the people around you, it's going to destroy them and melt them. Thinking about, man, Sean's here. I think about Indiana Jones. Remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? Remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? The Nazi who opened the, who opened the Ark of the Covenant. What happened to the Nazi? They all melted. He's saying similar things. He's saying anger is a toxic waste that can melt and destroy your relationships. So slow to anger means treat your anger very carefully. Your anger is a biohazard. Then. Okay? He's saying, watch out. It's quick, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Merry people, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. You know what I mean? You three sophomore boys in college, it's quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. It has to be one of the cornerstones of your your relationship with other people. This is a pretty good sermon so far. But, not a but, but if you look at these two verses, 19 and 20, in the larger context of the chapter... Yes, it's true that James is giving advice on not to be angry and be very wise about being angry. That's true. But if you look at these two verses in the larger context of the chapter, I think James is not so much referring to the anger between human relationships, but I think he's more mentioning about our response to the word of God. James is saying, we're going to go into a little bit more detail. James is saying, when you hear the word of God, be, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's what he's saying. Because the verses right after, verses, 20, verses 22, he's saying, be doers of the word, right? Verse 23, if anyone is a hearer of the word, those two verses come right after the verses that we just read. In verse 18, right the verse right before the verses that we read, James is talking about how all of us were born again through the word of truth. So the anger verses are contained within the context of the word. you see that? Please say that you see that. So I think what James is referring to when he's talking about anger is not so much, and what I just said about anger between human beings, that's still valid, but I think the, the greater focus is on our response to when we hear God's word. When you hear God's word, number one, be quick to listen. Understand this. God, like I said in the call of worship, God speaks. We're able to listen to God because he speaks to us. He really does. He speaks to us through his word. He has never not spoken to me as I study his word. Deeper. As my mind is filled with understanding of who God is, as, and that leads to the fuller understanding of who I am, there is this audio, not audio, there is this sense that he's speaking to me daily. Y'all, God speaks. We're in Virginia. Y'all, God speaks. I was, like, talking to one of, the, one of our college students, and um, I'm not going to tell his name or the school that he goes to, um, but, you know, he's part of a, like, a very, like a, like, a campus ministry. He's very charismatic. You know what charismatic campus ministry is? It's like Holy Spirit, type, Holy Spirit speaks to me type of thing, Right? And I said, hey, how are you doing? Right. He said, I'm fine. How's your fellowship? And he says, "He's fine. And, I'm, I'm, and I said, is your college hearing the voice of the Lord? Is it? You know how it can be. Are they hearing the voice of God? And, and he says, no, most of, most of the people in my fellowship are just waiting for God to do something in them. So that, you know, they can respond. What he's saying is most of the people in the charismatic fellowship They're just like waiting for God to do something like magical, not magical, supernatural in their lives, right? So that they're waiting for this God experience, right? Every fellowship, every Friday night fellowship they go to, every Sunday worship they go, they come with, with an expectation of a God event. They think if God, if I experience some sort of God event, then I will change. And I said to that young man, I said, young man, Tell your friends that Christianity, the religion of truth. God speaks to us through his truth. Oh, what a great pastor. He does. God speaks not only through events. God speaks not even primarily through the events of your life. God speaks every day, daily, through his word. He really does, y'all. It is when you listen, He becomes real to you. For those of you who haven't had a God experience, I recommend for the next 30 days, open up John, the book of John, the gospel of John. For 30 minutes a day, before you read, study the book of John, ask, Lord, I don't know whether I know you, but please review yourself to me and start studying John. 30 days. You will start to hear his voice. When God speaks to you, James says, be quick to listen. Don't wait for supernatural God events to change you. As a man who's gone through many different God events in his life, and I'm appreciative of all those events, it is not through those events that he spoke to me. Oh, the stories I can tell you. But it's through the word. You know what I mean? He speaks, y'all. Speaks. Listen. Listen. Daily. But to listen when God speaks to you. Slow to speak. When God speaks. But again, slow to speak means warning against shallow, warning against acting based on shallow understanding of God. I think the number one problem in Christianity is people operate with a shallow understanding of God. I listen to a lot of debates with atheists, and atheists mock Christianity because they have a shallow understanding of God. Atheists believe we believe in a beard-headed guy in the sky telling us what to do. That's what atheists believe, Christians believe about God. We believe a bearded man in the sky telling us what to do. They think that's foolish. They have a shallow caricature of God. But I'm afraid many Christians that I know are operating on a shallow, just as a shallow understanding of God, just like the unbeliever. Our understanding of God didn't go beyond our Sunday school. We've done a lot of things for God since Sunday school, right? But our understanding of him, Remains very shallow. Be slow to speak. It doesn't mean don't pray. Slow to speak means be weary of the shallowness of your understanding of God. Don't act, you know, don't act based on your shallowness understanding of God. Look, parable of the parable of the. the seeds, you know, the parable of seeds, right? There's a farmer who spread the seed in the rocky soil, the thorny soil, by the road, right? The seed symbolizes the word of God, right? And the farmer symbolizes God, right? He spreads his word all over existence. There are some people, Jesus says, who will listen to the word and who will accept it joyfully. (gasps) Yes, Jesus loves me. But when the persecution comes because of the word or if there are other concerns about the world such as like 401k plans and other concerns of the world. When these concerns come, the word of God doesn't bear fruit in their lives because the, the, the word fell on shallow ground. If your word fell on the shallow ground of your mind, and if, it le- if, if it's always on the shallow surfaces, it will never produce life in us. Be weary of your shallow understanding of God. Okay. For, us, for, us, for those of us who are in ministry, in various sorts, I love you, bless, God bless you for serving the church. right? God bless you for signing up for the foster care ministry that we're going to do. God bless you for the full praise band. God bless you for the... For the you know, for fellowship ministry. God bless you for the coffee ministry. God bless you. Right? God bless you. God bless me for the preaching ministry that I'm doing. God bless me too. But what we are who are in ministry must be aware of is I have it too, right? The temptation to substitute doing ministry for listening to God. Right? Right? For those of us in ministry, we think, oh, because I'm doing this for God, that I don't really need to listen to him. That's very dangerous. Look, remember Mary and Martha? Jesus came to Mary and Martha's house, right? And all these people in the town gathered together, gathered in Mary and Martha's house, right, trying to listen to Jesus, right? Martha, the good sister, was trying to, like, busy serving the guests, right? But Mary, she was just under Jesus' feet, listening to Jesus. And Martha was complaining to Jesus, hey, Jesus, tell Mary to help out a little, right? She's not a guest, right? She's a little sister. She, help, help her to tell her to help out. And what did Jesus say? Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen to what is better. Better than serving is listening. And I'm not saying, Pastor Jay, I'm going to quit ministry because I want to listen to God. It's not one or the other, y'all. Right? Let's not be just so simplistic. It's not one or the other. (laughs) You better not come talk to me and say, yeah, I'm going to quit ministry so I can listen to God more. You can listen to God and do the same time. You can chew gum and walk at the same time, right? But if you had to choose between doing things and not listening and listening and not doing things, you got to listen. Yo, don't look at me that way, man. You know what I mean? You need to listen. Try to escape your shallow understanding of Christ. And Paul says, when the word of God is spoken to you, be slow to anger. What is he talking about slow to anger? When you listen to the word of God, try not to get angry. Try not to get offended. And y'all, what I'm telling you, when you open up the word of God, it's going to offend you. That's the cornerstone of my ministry. When you actually faithfully preach the word of God, it's going to offend you because it's going to reveal things about you to you. One of the main reasons why God wants you to listen to him is because God wants you to see who you are for who you really are. And when you see who you are for who you really are, you're not going to like it. Maybe all of us are expecting when we open up the Bible, right? Like, the Bible will always tell us that God loves us. Maybe we're, 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 like, we're treating God like the, one of the Build-A-Bear builder bears. You know, you know the build bear bears? If you, if you press the heart, it says what? I love you. Maybe we're considering treating the Bible as a build bear bear, Right? We just open up the word and we think God's going to tell me, tell me he loves me. He's going to do a little bit more than that. He's going to reveal the inner realities of your life. It ain't pleasant sometimes. Prime example. Look, remember Peter? Who did not, he said, he who said, I will never deny you, Jesus. But when people ask him, hey, do you know Jesus? He says, nope, three times. He thought he wouldn't betray, but he did. And when he, when he meets the resurrected Jesus, what is the first thing that Jesus said to a guy who felt so guilty about betraying him? What did, what did Jesus say? Peter, do you love me? Oh! Peter, do you love me? To a guy who felt so guilty about betraying him. That's kind of cold, right? That's not PC. That's not very accepting. Love me? The one who betrayed me, do you love me? Jesus said, asked Peter that question. How many times? Three. How many times did did Peter deny Jesus? Three. Jesus asked Peter that question. Not only to hurt him, but also to restore him. Through those questions, Peter got hurt, but Peter also got restored. That's the nature of the living word of God. It reveals things about you to you, and it hurts. By his providence, like I'm talking about anger, in the last past week I'm telling you, these words cut me deep because he revealed a lot of anger in me as well, and not only it revealed anger in me, but it also revealed that I have I don't know how not to be angry. I'm helpless against my own anger. He resolved it last night. I'll tell you after service for those of you who are interested. But for a week, God revealed, you're going to preach about anger, son? This is your anger. Go, oh! The word of God does that. It's a living and active word. It's living and active because it reveals things about you. To, about you. It reveals things about me to me. God, James is saying, when, you, when God speaks to you that way, don't be angry at him. Don't be bitter for what you see. Accept it. Because he needs to reveal these things to you to save you. Are you with me so far? We're making fantastic progress. Not only that, but verse 21. When the word of God is preached, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the word with meekness. He's saying when the word of God is preached, put away, strip away, take off. All the wickedness, all the immorality, and all the evil that is prevalent within you, and accept the word. What does that mean? It means when you hear the word of God, be willing to throw away, strip off anything that God is calling you to strip off. Give you an example Beckett Cook, my, my main guy. Now, for those of you who don't know, Beckett Cook was a set designer. In Hollywood, um, lived a gay lifestyle for like 20, 30 years, right? Visited a church one Sunday. That one church event changed his life. Right? That's, that's his story, basically. And this is what he said. He says, when he heard the voice of God, through the sermon that Sunday, he's, he heard voice God saying, I'm real. Jesus is my son. I invite you to my kingdom. Those are the things that Becky Cook said. He heard it loudly. It broke him. And after Beckett Cook heard God's voice saying that to him, this guy who was living a homosexual lifestyle for thirty years says, "What?" He said, "Have the sexuality, have it all. I don't care." He says, the moment he heard that voice, he says, "I don't care. Just take it." It's weird because this guy was living in a culture, especially his culture, that said it was nothing wrong to be gay, right? And yet, when he heard the voice of God, he says, take it. I don't care. Beckett Cook was willing. This is a sermon that gets, that's going to get me fired. He was willing to just say, God, take it. He's willing to give it up. If Beckett Cook said, when he heard the voice of God, when Beckett Cook said, if he said, God, uh, no, yeah, I hear your voice, God, thank you for the invite. But I don't know whether I could give this gay thing up. No, God. Oh, I don't know. Thank you for the invite. But let, me think, let me pray about it. Right? Let me think about it and just, I'll get back to you about giving this thing up. He did that. I don't know whether Bacchus will be saved. The dangerous thought, dangerous thing about God accepting you for who you are, the dangerous thing is, we think that we can still live with our sin. And still be saved. James is saying that's not true. When you hear the voice of God, you got to be willing to say, "Take it, take this." Has that happened to you? Is he if he's speaking to you? Have you have you ever have you said yes? All these issues in my life, I don't know how I'm going to get off this addiction. I don't know how I'm going to get off anything. I don't know, right? I don't know, God. But, yeah, you're right. Take it. Have you, have, you, are, have you done it? Are you doing it? That's what James is saying. When you hear the word of God, be willing to strip off all borrowed filth and wickedness. When you hear God's, God's word, verse 22 be doers of the word and not just be hearers. Deceive yourself when you hear the voice of God. Not only are you willing to strip away moral filthiness, filth- filthiness but you need to be willing to do, and not to just merely listen. Be the doer of the word and not listen, not merely hear. I think there are so many people who are deceiving themselves of thinking what they're actually not. So many people believe that they belong to God because they, just because by the virtue of just being able to hear. Maybe some, there's so many Christians out in the world who think they're Christians because every Sunday they listen. James is saying listening is not the evidence of your transformation. Listening is not the evidence of your salvation. Listening won't do. The evidence of the fact that whether you belong to him or not is not only do you listen, but do you do? Are you a listener or a doer? These these are Jesus' words. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21. He says, at the judgment day, people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. I've done all these things for you. I've preached for you. I've healed for you. I've driven up demons for you. Basically, I've done ministry for you, God. And Jesus says, I have no idea who you are. Why? Because he, because you guys are evildoers. You guys didn't obey me. Jesus is making it clear. The evidence of the fact that whether he knows us or not, is not ministry per se. It's not even listening to him per se. But doing the things he has commanded us to do. Another one. Um, John chapter 14 verse 15. If you love me, you will do what I command. How do we know we love Jesus? If we do what he commands. Jesus says, Jesus didn't say, If you love me, you will listen to my commands. If you love me, you will agree with my commands. If you love me, then you will think my commands are a good idea. He's not saying that. You love me. The evidence of your love for me. You do these things Question in this morning. Are you a doer of his word? Or are you a mere listener? In the Bible, there are people who were listeners, but who never did. A couple of examples. Remember King Herod? There were a lot of King Herods, but this particular King Herod, he imprisoned John the Baptist because John the Baptist was condemning Herod for his immoral lifestyle, right? I think Herod was, like, having a relation with his brother's wife or something, right? So Herod was living an immoral lifestyle. John was preaching against it, so Herod put him in jail. But while John was in jail, Herod visited him, and John spoke truth to him. And Herod recognized that John was a prophet of God. So Herod liked what John was saying. He was agreeing with what John was saying. But when his wife says, like when when his wife tricked him to to chop off John's head, Harold did it. Just because King Harold agreed with John, thought what John was saying was true. But when temptation came, when his wife said, I want John the Baptist's head, Harold gave it to her. Another example is Governor Felix. He imprisoned, like Paul was in jail for a couple of years in, in, in Rome. The governor, Roman governor of Israel at the time was Felix. He would bring Paul over and Paul would preach to Felix. And Felix really liked what Paul had to say about Jesus. For two years, he had a one-on-one discipleship and like a tutoring session about Christianity with Paul, for crying out loud. Imagine having a one-to-one Christian, like, tutoring class with Paul. Felix really liked what Paul had to say. But there's no evidence that Felix was converted. Listening and doing are two different realities. Right? Are you a listener? An agreer? I think that's a good idea-er. Of the word of God? Or are you a doer? For the the majority of your life, all of us have heard the gospel. At least if you come here week in, week up, you heard the gospel. Have you ever went home and said to God, God, you're right. I'm wrong. And I need you to save me. I trust Christ. I don't know what that means yet, but I trust Christ. Have you made that confession? Have you made that confession? You're right. I'm wrong. I need Christ. Help me to believe him. But Lord, help me to believe him. Have you made the confession? Or have you listened to him? Maybe we were stirred by him, but then kind of forgot and went home. James in verse 23 is comparing this person. As a person who looks himself at the mirror, right? sees all these blemishes, all these markings on their face. They look at themselves in the mirror see all these like spots on their faces that you could wash away with water. Look at all the marks, and they go, "Ooh, ooh disgusting! I gotta clean! I gotta clean myself." And then when they turn away, they forget. They forget what is on their faces. You get the point. The word of God reveals yourself like a mirror. It reveals what we are. It does. The word of God does that. But if you don't act, if you don't confess, if you don't cry out to God to save you, it's like you're looking. And then if you're not confessing, you're, you turn away and you forget what you look like. My friends, question have you confessed to God? Did you, have you ever said, Lord, you're right. I need you. I need to be saved. And thank God for Jesus saving me. Have you ever made that confession before the Lord? Or has it stopped just by being stirred? Being stirred Does't make us Christian? Acting upon the stirring does. You understand? Be doers of God's word, not be mere listener. Verse 25. "But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. The definition of blessed in verse 25 is to be happy. And the blessing, verse 25, is not the same happiness that we experience when we gain things in the world. Yesterday, I went to a French restaurant. I had duck liver. It was fantastic. made me truly happy. Truly happy. Duck liver truly makes me happy. Like, Like pig intestines. Truly makes me happy. You can have your steaks, man. I want my duck liver and, and 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 beef intestines, right? That's not the same happiness that James was talking about. The word ha- "blessed" here means happiness when knowing that God is real, that He's working in your life, right? That God is just looking after you and that God loves you. That's the happiness. The happiness here, the happiness when you experience the reality of God in your life, truly. How do you experience the true happiness that comes from the reality of God? James is saying, look at the law of God. The law of God that James talks about in verse 25 is the Bible. It's not, the Old, not only the Old Testament law, but it's the Bible, the writings of the prophets and the, and the apostles. He's saying, look at the law of God that gives freedom. If you, if you open up the word of God, there's not only these commandments, but there's revelation. The Bible, through the Holy Spirit, reveals things about God, about us, about reality, of our destiny, and especially about Jesus Christ. That's, the Bible reveals things to us. When we, when we get that revelation, and then when we look at the commandments of God, we will want to obey those commandments. If you don't have godly revelation, the commandments of God is very restrictive. Ew, I don't want to do it. When God reveals himself, reveals Jesus, reveals us, reveals our eternity, when we look at those commandments in the light of these revelations, we think those revelations are a really good idea. Those commandments we think are a really good idea. When God reveals himself in us and to us, when we look at God's commandments, we think those commandments are a good idea. And obeying those commandments is freedom this very deep theological thing that I just did in the last 30 seconds. When God reveals himself to us, when we look at his commandments, we think those commandments are right and we want to do it. And when you obey God's commandment, you will find freedom. If you don't have God's revelation, If you don't read the Bible, if God doesn't reveal himself to you, if you don't live in accordance to his commandments, then it means that you're a slave to your desires, to other people's ideas, to the lies of the world, to lies in your head. You'll be enslaved to those things. The revelation of God in scripture frees you. And I'm telling you, when God reveals himself, when you actually want to do these things, You feel God's presence in your life. God tells me, what are you going to do about this anger? I said, I want to be angry. God says, okay. And and so I was angry, and it kind of ruined me. Next morning, God says, what are you going to do about this anger? I said, I still want to be angry. Okay. So I was angry. It will still ruin me. And then yesterday, he says, what are you going to do about this anger? And I go, yes, I will obey. Freedom. I feel his presence. Not because I'm a great guy, but God, by his grace, revealed himself to me through his word, his revelation, and his word makes his presence real. That should be our experience, our walk, every single day. You can feel the presence of God every single day. If you open up the law that gives perfect freedom. And ask God to reveal himself to you and, and your willingness to obey his commands. When you do that, he will be palpably real to you. Not you be enslaved to the lies and the nonsense of the world. the lies and the nonsense in your head. The lies and nonsense that your desire will lead you to. Man, I spoke a lot today. Are you listening? God, God, God wants to speak to you today. Ask him to speak to you. Listen to him. Have a deep understanding with him. Ask God, give me the willingness to obey you. He will do it. Let's pray.